that's like number one basic thing that has to be known and contracted and decided, you know, amongst all your collaborators and also like who owns the master recording, you know, and, and because, you know, that's the first question you're going to get is who can clear the sync and master, meaning master is the recording and then sync is the publishing. So that simple basic thing needs to be super clear from the beginning. And then from there, it's about having, you know, clean versions of your songs, having instrumental versions of your songs, you know, which can be essential when wanting to get placements in, in film and TV. It's easy to get lost in today's music industry with constantly changing technology and where anyone with a computer can release their own music. But I'm going to share with you why this is the best time to be an independent musician and it's only getting better. If you have high quality music, but you just don't know the best way to promote yourself so that you can reach the right people and generate a sustainable income with your music, we're going to show you the best strategies that we're using right now to reach millions of new listeners every month without spending 10 hours a day on social media. We're creating a revolution in today's music industry, and this is your invitation to join me. I'm your host, Michael Walker. All right, I'm excited to be here today with Ashley Neumeister. So Ashley has played a key role in all aspects of music production, clearance, and music curation on numerous series and films, including shows for CBS, Netflix, Paramount+, Disney+, which, you know, unless you live under a rock, you've probably heard of most, if not all, all of those. And she knows a thing or two about sync licensing and getting music into TV and film. In 2019, 2020, she was nominated for the Guild of Music Supervisors Award, Best Music Supervision in a Television Drama, for her works on season one and two of American Soul. And now she's taken her experience and lessons learned in, in the realm of sync licensing to create a coaching platform for artists called Sync Secrets to help musicians get their songs synced to TV and film. So I'm really excited to talk with her today and, and to be able to pick your brain a little bit about sync licensing and you know, why it's an opportunity for musicians and how to kind of enter that, that world if someone has original music but they haven't really dabbled yet into the world of, of sync licensing. So Ashley, thank you so much for taking the time to be here today. Of course. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. Awesome. So to start with, I'd love to hear a little bit about your story and how you know, you've got to this point where you're able to you know, work with CBS, Netflix, Paramount Plus, Disney Plus, and how you learned you know, what, what you're teaching now with music licensing. Sure. I, I mean, I've always loved music. You know, I grew up listening to music and loving soundtracks and being in choir, playing piano, being in band, doing that whole thing. And so I always knew I wanted to do something in music. I didn't really know what. And I ended up going to Columbia College in Chicago for music production, actually, focusing in music business and music production. And while I was there, realized that I actually don't really want to be a music producer and just wasn't into the, the lifestyle that kind of goes along with it of crazy long hours, long nights. And, you know, <laughs> so I was like, I'm going to try to find something else I can do that would also incorporate film and TV. So that's when I learned about the job of a music supervisor and the head of my department in Chicago told me about an extension program that they were doing in LA that was specifically for music supervisors. And so I did that training and that was my last semester of university back in 06 and, you know, decided that's what I wanted to do. So I was like, okay, well, I guess I got to stay in LA because you got to live here to do that. So I was able to get a job. I actually started working for a management company and they managed record producers, songwriters and engineers. And I worked there for about a year and a half and actually started a music licensing division for that company because some of their clients were major label clients and some were independent artists that owned all their own rights. So I was like, we should be pitching these songs, you know, and start a music licensing division. So I did that there, but I very quickly realized that I wasn't going to get to music supervision while I stayed at that company. So I started looking around and got hired to work at a music library called True Music. And I, you know, started as an admin assistant, kind of tracking placements and helping with ingestion of music into that catalog. And then eventually moved into sales and pitching and then into music supervision. And now eventually I'm the senior vice president of that parent company, which is called Farquhar Productions. 
and I've been with that one company for 16 years. So we offer, you know, music supervision, music editing, music licensing, original composition, original song composition, depending on the project that we work on, you know, we provide one or all of those services. And I, I primarily do the music supervision and music editing. Mm. And yeah, I guess that's kind of the short version. <laughs> awesome. Uh, th thanks for sharing. And yeah, it, it sounds like you probably have had a ton of experience now, you know, through the music supervision work that you've done working with artists and specifically seeing you know, from the role, from the perspective of music supervisor, what do you actually look for and you know, how, like, what are the, the best best ways that an artist can kind of enter enter that world and in what is actually valuable to you as a music supervisor who's ultimately you know the one who's kind of choosing what music gets placed mm -hmm. so so knowing that i'd be curious to hear you know what are some of the the biggest and now like in addition to doing all that for yourself as a music supervisor working with artists and getting to see you know hands-on you know what they're struggling with what do you see as some of the biggest like challenges right now when it comes to you know, music licensing to TV and film that the artists are struggling with when they first come to you? Understanding the business, you know, like knowing the terms and how it works and, you know, the different like revenue streams, for example, you know, like how you get an upfront sync fee, but then you also get royalties and knowing like where those come from, you know, the royalties is going to be directly from your PRO and then there's so it's two different streams of money and and you know honestly as a music supervisor and i i would safe to assume that a lot of music supervisors would say the same thing that we don't tend to work with like independent artists directly that don't have any experience within that world because we don't have time to explain it nor do we have time to like worry that something might get messed up you know within mm -hmm. the the clearance process. So, you know, all the way down to the basics of knowing 100% of the writer and publisher splits on your song. You know, that's like number one basic thing that has to be known and contracted and decided, you know, amongst all your collaborators and also like who owns the master recording, you know, and, and because, you know, that's the first question you're going to get is, who can clear the sync and master, meaning master is the recording and then sync is the publishing. So that simple basic thing needs to be super clear from the beginning. Mm -hmm. And then from there, it's about having, you know, clean versions of your songs, having instrumental versions of your songs, you know, which can be essential when wanting to get placements in, in film and TV. So I would say, that's probably like the basics of where the things that you need to have before you can even get started. Mm, totally makes sense. Yeah. It, so it, it sounds like you know, one of the fundamental biggest challenges or issues and the reason that most supervisors don't work directly with artists is because some of those fundamental things like knowing who actually owns the rights to the different songs may or may not, in, in, you know, worst case scenarios, like they appear like they have them and then it turns out, nope, like they're wrong. They didn't cross yeah, their T's exactly. and, the and then everything. And so or they have a sample, you know, that comes mm, up too. Mm, gotcha. So what advice would you have for, because I mean, obviously this is a little bit of a uncomfortable conversation sometimes for artists as, you know, they're doing co-write sessions or collaborating, especially if they're you know, they're, they haven't navigated a whole lot of these conversations yet. What advice mm -hmm. would you have for someone to, from the start, you know, to kind of help them navigate that conversation of, you know, establishing mm -hmm. the rights from day one when they kind of write the song with collaborators? Right. Yeah. That's one of the main things I talk about in my Sync Secrets training. And I actually give them contract templates, you know, just to, because I would encourage them, everyone to have those that you just bring to the sessions or co-writes, you know, it's very simple form. It doesn't look like an intimidating contract, <laughs> you know, it basically just has everyone fill out their writer percentage and who owns publishing and, you know, whoever basically is paying for the recording is who's going to own the master. So it's a level of professionalism, right? So if you're wanting to be a professional musician and you make a business out of this, these are conversations that are necessary. And so there is a level of like respect that comes 
to these musicians sometimes, you know, when they come into these sessions, it's not like you have to come at it from a, you know, this is the way it is kind of thing. It's just like, hey, you know, I, I want to make be clear on all the ownership of this song. You know, we can talk about it when we're done because you want to see, you know, how much each person contributes. Often you don't know that until a song is complete. But I would say on average, like most people, they're just like, okay, there's three people in the room, we're going to all work on this together, let's just do even splits, you know, it can be something that simple. But yeah, having that conversation in the beginning, you know, like, hey, I'd love to co write a song with you just so you know, I love having these, you know, business conversations up front just to get it out of the way. And this is what I typically do, you know, are you cool with that, you know, mm -hmm. and then having that one sheet, simple, you know, split sheet for everyone to write and fill out their information. And you also want to make sure that your co-writers like have are they registered with a pro you know are they ascap bmi csac or if they're foreign you know it might be a different one so that's all information that if you want to specifically work within sync you need to have all that information at, at some point anyways so demystifying it and and making sure that you can easily have those conversations as part of getting educated you know of what the information that a music supervisor is going to need, for example, with, you know, what we're talking about. And, and they can even say that, you know, like, Hey, I'm, you know, wanting this song to get placed on a TV show. So we got to make sure we get all this stuff clear and, you know, they're going to want that too. So. Mm. Yeah. Super helpful. Yeah. Th thanks for sharing that. F funny enough, I'm actually getting ready to do a bunch of co-writes and start collaborating and writing songs together with, with a bunch of different folks. And I personally haven't really navigated this because up to this point with Paradise Fears, we were very like democratic with the songwriting. We had all just split every song evenly between all of us. And we never actually approached, or at least I personally haven't approached this sort of like co-writing conversation. So really helpful. It's great. <laughs> I love when I can have conversations like this with smart people and, and learn things that are both <laughs> helpful for the community and, and for myself. Yeah. So, oh, one other thing I actually just yeah. want to mention is like a way to think about it too, is like 50% of the writers is for like the instrumental and the track and 50% is often for like lyrics and harmony. So you can use that too, to kind of help determine mm -hmm. percentages. Interesting. Yeah. That was going to be one follow-up question as it relates to like to rights. You know, I've, I've heard about two different models of splitting things. Like there's like a Nashville way and like a the California or LA way, which if I under, if I remember right, Nashville is sort of like, you know, it doesn't matter what you contribute. If you're in the room, like you're getting a split, you're getting an even split, whoever's like there, even if they just lightly touch it, like they get the same percentage. And then with LA, it was maybe a bit more nuanced where you could decide based on what people contributed. So for example, if like, I don't know, if I came to a co-write session and I had an idea for a song very well fleshed out and then, you know, people were able to contribute ideas here and there, but most of the idea, like 80% of it was written already, then would that be case to say, or to have that conversation at the end and say, is this okay with you? And at the same time, I also could see the pros and cons of like, I don't know, for better or for worse, some people might be better at negotiating or they might, I don't know, bully is a strong mm -hmm. word, but like, you know, it could, like someone could, you know, potentially, like it could lead to some you know, friction there. And it is, is that something that ever comes up or is that more just sort of like a, on yeah. a, like the fear? I mean, it can always come up when you're working with new people, maybe, you know, you've never worked with before and you don't really know kind of how they do business, but that's again, why it's good to talk about these things up front. So you can kind of know that right away. But yeah, I mean, it, I think it is common for, you know, if you're a singer songwriter and you have a pretty fleshed out idea, you can say that, you know, like, hey, I have a pretty full song here. I've 80% of it is done, you know, but I'd love to have your input, you know, this guitar player or whatever. And we'll see if it, you know, if you add enough original material, you'll get a writer's percentage of this. Otherwise you could always do work for hires too, where you just pay them a fee and they don't have any writers to share. And that's, that's, these are all just like conversations, right? So it's just something that's, you got to just remember to do upfront. I have had more problems with people that are, or seen more problems with people that are working with like producers, you know, like they go in to work with a producer on a song that they have most of the idea on. And and some of these producers are kind of like, well, my standard is, you know, I get 50% writers or something. 
And then it's just up to you to decide whether or not you want to work with them. You know, if they're really dope and you love all their music and what they do and you want to, you know, do a handful of songs with them, then that might just be their kind of non-negotiable thing. But again, just making sure you have these conversations up front so you're not surprised because that's where the issue comes in. You know, you have a whole song that's complete and you're thinking that you're going to have your 80% writers and they're just going to take, you know, 20% or whatever. But then they come back and they're like, no, I standard is 50%. It's like, well, why don't you tell me that up front? You know, so it's it's kind of your responsibility to initiate these conversations up front and just be clear. All right, let's take a quick break from the podcast so I can tell you about a free special offer that we're doing right now exclusively for our podcast listeners. So if you get a ton of value from the show, but you want to take your music career to the next level, connect with a community of driven musicians and connect with the music mentors directly that we have on this podcast. Or if you just want to know the best way to market your music and grow an audience right now, then this is going to be perfect for you. So right now we're offering a free two-week trial to our music mentor coaching program. And if you sign up in the show notes below, you're going to get access to our entire Music Mentor content vault for free. The vault's organized into four different content pillars. The first being the music, then the artist, the fans, and last but not least, the business. When you sign up, you'll unlock our best in-depth masterclasses from a network of world-class musicians and industry experts on the most cutting-edge strategies right now for growing your music business. On top of that, you'll get access to our weekly live masterminds where our highest level modern musician coaches teach you exactly what they're doing to make an income and an impact with their music. Then once a month, we're going to have our Music Mentor Spotlight Series. And that's where we're going to bring on some of the world's biggest and best artist coaches and successful musicians to teach you what's working right now. And one of the most amazing parts is that you can get your questions answered live by these top-level music mentors. So a lot of the people that you hear right here on the podcast are there live interacting with you personally. So imagine being able to connect with them directly. On top of all that, you'll get access to our private music mentor community. And this is definitely one of my favorite parts of Music Mentor and and maybe the most valuable is that you're going to have this this community where you can network with other artists and link up, collaborate, ask questions, get support, and discuss everything related to your music career. So if you're curious and you want to take advantage of the free trial, then go click on the link in the show notes right now and you can sign up for free. Uh, From there, you can check out all of the amazing content, uh, connect with the community, and sign up for the live masterclasses that happen every week. This is a gift for listening to our podcast, supporting the show. Um, So don't miss it out. Go sign up for free now and uh, let's get back to our interview. Cool. Yeah, super helpful. Yeah, I can imagine kind of building in even just like part of the co-write process. I have like a scheduling calendar link that someone could book. And maybe when they book, there could be a questionnaire. There could be like something to fill out that sort of just walks through the ground rules and, and whatnot. So yeah, totally. Super, super interesting stuff. Awesome. So to take things in a little bit of a different direction, and hopefully I'm not like, you know, diving too, like opening up too much of a can of worms here, but I'm genuinely really curious to hear your thoughts on it and kind of where we're headed is in the realm of AI songwriting and, and production, especially as it relates to the world of like sync licensing for TV and film. I'm curious if, if how much experience you have, like in the kind of the current state of AI, like, like right now at the time of recording this, it's like crazy. Jet GPT came out, GPT-4 is released. It's super smart. It's taken the world by storm. It got over hundred million users in like a few months. And it seems like you know, we're just kind of the tip of the iceberg and things are only going to get crazier from here. And certainly could have the potential to like disrupt a lot of current things or systems that we do, especially in like the creative realm. So I'm curious to hear your thoughts on kind of the current state of music licensing as it relates to AI services and tools, what that might mean for artists and musicians who are you know, create creative workers who might be listening to this right now and kind of your, obviously there's so much that's unknown and things are changing so fast, but I'm kind of curious to hear your, your perspective on it and where you think we might be heading. Yeah, you know, I feel like we're just at the beginning of that, you know, so it it is hard to say. I mean, I've definitely had some conversations about it, even, you know, like with my job as a music supervisor, like, is some of that going to be automated, you know, and you, you know, use AI for that. The only thing that I've seen so far already have an impact is there are these services now that 
they basically they claim to cut down on like my time to find songs because they can search big databases based on these parameters that I put in and then it will send me songs that fit those parameters. I haven't used one of these yet, but I have someone that's like hounding me to like try it out. <laughs> so I might do that just because I'm curious. But as far as like, you know, AI created music, I mean, it's definitely a thing. I would hope that that isn't going to end up replacing too much of what we're already doing. But it, like I said, it's hard to say, you know, like where where we're going with that. I would say probably more so on like a smaller level, maybe, you know, of like independent films, these YouTube shows or, you know, maybe lower budget kind of productions. I could see them relying on that. You know, they already rely on like things like royalty free libraries and stuff like that, that we do not use within, you know, major broadcast or major productions. So I could see it coming in there, you know, sooner, but there's always this, the, the thing within, you know, broadcast and these bigger productions, it's all about like liability, right? So like we, we're only going to license from a person that can sign a contract and protect the production from liability issues, you know, that they actually own this, this piece of composition, they can sign off on it and there's not going to be any issues. So they'd have to figure that piece out. And then, you know, I believe that there is something to the value of human expression and emotion that is emoted through music. And I hope that that can't be replaced anytime soon. You know, it's like maybe certain styles or genres could be more easily created by AI than others. Yeah, I mean, who knows at this point, you know, how intelligent it's gonna get and and I just saw on Instagram the other day, this guy that wrote a Kanye-like beat and Kanye-like lyrics and then spoke it into this AI thing and it, it made his voice sound exactly like Kanye. I was like, whoa, that's wild. That the voice emulation thing that, that so now like anyone could be a singer, right? <laughs> you just have an AI voice. Yeah, it's wild to think about where it's going. Speaking of Kanye and AI, I don't know if I can find this or not. <laughs> so, yeah, it might not be in the cards for this interview. So we, my band, we're, we're, I probably shouldn't announce anything yet. It's not official, but we're, we're in conversations about doing a small reunion tour just, just for fun for like a week. And when we met over Zoom, we had a just like a fun hangout session, and and part of it was opening up ChatGPT and telling it like, yeah, what should be our set list? And it wrote, it was so funny. It wrote like, it got like nine of the songs right, and then three of the songs that it created were totally fabricated songs that we've never written. Like one was called <laughs> Summer, <laughs> and, and it sounded like like yeah, like that could be a Paradise Fear song. Like it's you know it's in the same vein, but that was really funny. And at one point, the conversation veered to like, because the question was, is it writing these songs because it knows enough about the band to actually write songs stylistically that are similar to the content that we would write ourselves, which is you know interesting if, if mm -hmm. it does do that. I think it actually does take that into account. But so we were like, yeah, what's the most iconic or like band that we could do this for to like to see if it's taken into account? And so it's like, like the Beatles, it's like, like Bob Dylan. And so I was like, Kanye. <laughs> and so so he asked to do a Kanye West album. And to specifically, yeah, I think we'd prompted it to like, I don't know, to be edgy or something. And it was so funny that like it popped out a list of 12 songs, like Kanye titles, descriptions of the songs. One of them, just for example, was like Proud Boys, and then in parentheses, and girls. And the subscription of the song was like, you know, like a counterpoint to like the proud, like proud boys, which was like the, what that group that mm -hmm. was like racist basically. Yeah. But it was, so anyways, yeah, it was like a demonstration of kind of seeing like the power of AI being able to write these like outlines, you know, for, for the songs and even having the ability to write like the full lyrics and, and mm -hmm. definitely seems like we're not too far away from a point where we could have like a chat GPT. And when I say like not too far away, like I think probably like three to six months, probably 
to a point where we have generative this might might already be a thing honestly like you type in some prompts like you know i want to have a happy a happy song that fits the mood of this thing that's happening in the movie like you know there's a scene of a boy falling in love with a girl and i want the song to reflect this this newfound connection between the two of them and and then we click generate and bloop, 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 you know, it pops out, a th- a thir- and we ask like a 30 second clip. So it pops out a 30 mm-hmm. second clip. And then we say, you know what? I'm not crazy about how the strings are, you know, you know, crescendoing here. Like I want the strings to be a little bit quieter. Bloop, 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 bloop. And then it pops out like a slightly quieter version of with the strings lowered. And, you know, it just seems kind of mind boggling that in my mind, that's like a definitive thing that's absolutely going to happen probably right. in the next three to six months. And at least from like a traditional standpoint of how the music is created and generated specifically for, you know, placements in TV and film, it seems like it would be easier to transmit the supervisor's vision or sort of like what they're looking to kind of fill the screen with if they were directly able to kind of iterate through that conversation. Mm-hmm. But to your point, it does, it does seem like music at its very like essence is sort of this expression of our humanness and you know, maybe, maybe it's more of a factor of, yeah, I've, I've heard this before that AI, you know, AI isn't going to replace all humans, but like humans using AI are going to replace all, all of the, those jobs. Mm. And the idea of like it just being a tool or an instrument, very similar to like MIDI keyboards or our computers. And these are ways to like, you know, to effectively transmit our ideas in a, in a more direct tapped in way, maybe maybe that's the route that we'll go rather than just like replacing ourselves entirely. Yeah. That seems also like maybe even more people could be creating music, you know, because they have that tool, you know, someone that's not typically a a lyricist, you know, but can write all of the instrumentation could use an app like that to then come up with all the lyrics. And yeah, I wonder how that's going to impact like, writers what that just because ai gave you those lyrics are they like yours now or like how does that work yeah that's a question worth diving into or just discussing and yeah maybe like the two of us we could just kind of crack that one and solve that one for humanity here really quick (laughs) but that i I don't know the same for like screenplays and you know Mm -hmm. writing books and all that totally yeah i mean that's huge huge question mark with AI generated content right now is exactly that is like who owns the content, right? Is it the, the tool that you created? Is it the underlying data that there should be mm-hmm. like, they should be compensated for it? Is it the person that generated the prompt that then generated the thing? And as far as I understand it, I mean, the last time I checked in on this was probably like a week or two ago, which in AI time is like seven years. <laughs> uh, but last time I, I heard about it, I think that there was actually like a big court case where they're going to make some sort of decisions on maybe how that type of content is used or copyrighted or the royalties from it. Hmm. But I mean, do you have any insight into that in terms of like what your, your thoughts about how that could or should be sort of split? No, <laughs> I have no idea at this point. Yeah, it's I mean, it's got to be probably a combination, I would think, between whoever generates the prompts and kind of directs the what it gives to you. But I don't know. I can't imagine also that like technology would be owning. I don't know. Yeah, that's. Yeah, certainly. I mean, yeah, yeah, I'm a believer that like our whole like a lot of human systems that we have right now are going to be disrupted by this technology and in a lot of really powerful, like good ways. I think it's going to open up a lot of abundance. And I think there's a, a lot of risks as well and potentially like existential threats uh, that we need to be like you're working through. Mm-hmm. And one of those, one of those things is definitely around sort of like ownership of how the AI is being generated with like scraping off this data from all these other creative works that don't, they haven't been compensated or given royalties for the fact that they're used in this AI generation engine. And that seems Mm -hmm. like that's not fair to the creative, you know, the owner of, of that while at the same time, like, you know, it's such an amazing tool. And I think it's gonna provide so much value for, for 
humankind that, you know, we just have to kind of figure out what, what we're going to do with it. But that's an interesting mm -hmm. idea, the, you know, tr trying to figure out a fair distribution of what those are kind of the three parties involved, really, right? It's like one is like the underlying data that's being used to generate the, the output. Two is like the actual service or the tool that's aggregating all of that data and turning it into a service. And then three is, you know, definitely the prompt generator and the person that's iterate, asking the questions, iterating with it mm -hmm. and deciding on like who, it will, like how can we attribute like who has really created this new piece of content that's like the baby of those right. three things. Super mm -hmm. fascinating. Mm-hmm. It is. So this is actually probably a good segue to another thing that I wanted to talk a little bit about. I think that one thing that's interesting about you and, and your story is that you also have a background in, you know, like sound, sound healing was, mm -hmm. was part of it. You know, you, before we hopped on the call, you, you mentioned that you just got back from Joshua Tree. And so you maybe I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on music you know, the purpose of music it's, itself and sort of how, how it relates to, because it is sort of a foundational like question. And as we live increasingly in a world where there's more and more computer and like digital intelligence, how the essence of music, you know, like, is it something that's going to last or something that's going to stick around? And what's our role as like creators of music in, in that world? This is a big question. <laughs> yeah, I, I love sound. I'm very passionate about the different uses of healing of sound for healing and, you know, study of frequency. And, you know, one of the most interesting things that I think is possible now, and I'm really excited for this to happen one day is so, you know, we're all made of frequency. We're all sound and we can do something called a voice signature analysis, which basically gives us a read of the frequencies that exist within our body. And you could go to a sound therapist to get this done, but I'm sure there's technology that's going to be able to do this eventually just by talking into something. There already are some that exist, but there is a debate on whether or not they're as accurate as, you know, a human doing these readings but basically it tells you which frequencies you have in excess which ones are balanced and which ones may be missing so for example recently i did one and i'm really low on like c and c sharp it just doesn't exist within my frequency right now and those are related to certain things on a physical mental emotional spiritual level and so I can do things like listen to music in C and C sharp, and it can start to create those frequencies within me through brainwave entrainment. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you want to do my you. part to help out? <laughs> thank you, thank you. Appreciate that. And you know, it even works better if you do you create regenerative sound on those notes that you're missing so like through vocal toning or singing along with things that are in that key or that that tone that note and and so i see a world where we'll have concerts or experiences or sound healings that are for people that are low in c and c sharp and so you you know you'll do a voice analysis you'll see what you're missing and you'll be like oh, okay i really need to build up my c and c sharp so i'm going to go to this this healing session which is a band playing music all in that key or something for example yeah. or you can take it even to like now that there's going to be more there is more research being done around like how to use sound for healing different diseases you could have concerts that focus on using frequencies that are good for people that have like diabetes or they're struggling with this kind of cancer or whatever. So I, I do see that in the future, you know, of using sound and music for healing and incorporating technology, you know, even now there's this whole debate around like writing music in 440 or 432. Do you know about this? Like four. I heard a little bit about it. Yeah. Okay. It's like tuning it slightly differently. Yeah. Yeah. You know, cause like an A is normally tuned to 440 Hertz in all of Western music currently. But back when there was just classical music, everything was in 432, meaning the A was tuned down eight Hertz to 432. And there's more and more musicians now that are learning about this concept that 
432 is actually supposed to be more healing and more beneficial to our bodies. It's more in tune with nature. And so a lot of musicians are starting to go back to the 432. So there's a lot of correlation and cross between obviously sound and music because they're very closely related. <laughs> mm. uh, and, and so, yeah, what I'm interested in is, is where can we take music intentionally for healing, which it already is naturally healing. You know, it's, it's, we listen to music when we're in all sorts of emotions. We go to these concerts to have peak ex emotional experiences. It's already a natural way that we heal as humans through dance, singing, you know, all of the different things that go along with music. But I, yeah, I am curious to see, you know, how far can we take it? I, I feel like there is definitely a it's almost it's an ancient technology, you know, it's not anything necessarily new, but it's just now that science is starting to catch up with what all of the, you know, Eastern philosophies and mystics have known forever. And it being more accepted within the Western world as something that is a valid healing modality and creating these different kinds of fun, but healing experiences, you know, using these things like voice analysis and learning more about what certain frequencies do within our bodies is there's a lot of potential there. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, so interesting. Yeah. What, what it reminds me of is I'll never forget this video that I saw on YouTube where it was a, like a pile of sand, like sitting on a table and they were just going through like a dial and dialing into different frequencies. And when it hits certain frequencies, the sand, you're like, it re navigated itself to create these like elaborate geometric designs mm -hmm. that was pr pretty amazing to watch be like man like there's definitely something happening here at certain frequencies that sort of cause things to harmonize or come together to, to fit different you know, shapes and, and patterns so mm -hmm. yeah I, exactly. I definitely believe that there's there is like this we're all made up of energy. We're all, we're all vibrating at different frequencies and, you know, music is certainly, it is a vibration of, of energy. Really interesting too, to like, to hear your, your thoughts around like seeing that used like intentionally. I personally don't have a lot of experience like attending sound healings or seeing it used in that modality, but I can understand how that could be a really powerful, like, yeah, I've certainly seen firsthand the power of music to be able to move people emotionally and, as you're describing that, I was like imagining like, yeah, technology being able to tell us because maybe that's sort of like a scientific, like you mentioned, like, oh, like we're missing like a C or, or C sharp or, you know, maybe there's like these certain frequencies that if that like sort of, if there are certain patterns, like certain types of trauma that people have gone through, like different kinds of trauma that are like harmonic to each other almost, or they've been through a similar sort of you know, traumatic expression and then you know, there's literally community experiences or musical sound community experiences, people coming together that are coming to like process and heal from that specific trauma, which mm -hmm. you know, kind of correlates to some of those frequencies. Super interesting. Yeah, totally. I mean, you, and also we're made up of mostly water too, you know, and so you can see how our cells and all of the water within our cells and everything is also impacted by the sound you can see that too where there the structure of sound changes with different frequencies being emitted and and so all of that like the sand moving and creating those shapes it's it's called cymatics it you know that's how our body is being impacted by those frequencies you know and that's why those sound baths they're called you know can be so healing and and it's it's just taking it to that next level of like knowing the frequency of everyone in the room that you're working with as a sound therapist you know like if someone is missing c and c sharp you're going to focus on those notes you know and and there is definitely a correlation between certain kinds of traumas and people missing certain notes and you know there's like a lot of people are missing c and c sharp right now because it's all about like safety and stability and security and our world is kind of a in flux right now and you so common <laughs> <laughs> yeah so we could totally you know create big group experiences that are healing those kinds of of trauma through through sound mm. 
awesome. Super interesting. Yeah. yeah. One, one question for you around this topic of the impact of, of music and its ability to heal and, and be able to transmit, you know, emotions and, and, and you know, certain frequencies. What's your view on, this is a question I've you know, kind of thought to myself that I don't really have like an answer for, but I do, sometimes I feel like there's certain music and you know, to each their own, like everyone has like their own, like, you know, style of music they enjoy, but it does seem like there's certain like songs or albums that are very like negative in nature or not from like a standpoint of like, we're going to shine a light of the negativity to like, you know, to heal from it, but more so like, like uh, toxic almost, or sort of like violent. And so in your point of view, like, is that kind of music, even though on the surface, you know, it sort of appears like violent or toxic, like maybe it's still having sort of a cathartic sort of like thing where it actually is like helping people heal or from your point of view, are there different like frequencies and it is possible to kind of go to a, a lower vibration of frequency by listening to like lower music or is it all just, you know, part of, you know, the healing process and, and all music is a good thing? Hmm. Yeah, that's a really great question. I mean, I could answer that in a few different ways. I, I don't, I don't know the answer to that either, <laughs> but I, I mean, for me personally, I feel like, yes, I can be brought to a lower level frequency wise. If I'm listening to music that is, you know, very violent or derogatory or, you know, talking shit about women or, you know, like, you know, kind of like a lot of the top 40 hip hop you know, that exists. Um, and there's a whole other rabbit hole we can go down that what well, I don't want to go down about, you know, intentionally programming people with those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that I'll just speak from my personal experience that I will intentionally listen to certain kinds of music when I'm feeling down or depressed or, you know, sad. And it can be one thing where, you know, I want to just kind of wallow in it for a minute. You know, it's like those heartbreak songs, you know, it's like mm. really sad and you're just like, oh, they get me, you know, and it's kind of this like relating connection thing where you don't feel so alone. So I do feel like there's some value in that, but you've mm. got to get out of that. You can't stay in that in that frequency. So then there's, you know, more uplifting, inspiring motivational kind of music too. So you can use it with intention. I think anything you listen to, you can use with intention. And so, you know, often I will listen to then more of that more inspiring kind of music to pull me out of that funk, you know? And so as long as you're aware of how you're using the music and what frequencies or messages you're listening to, it, it is going to have an impact. You know, and that's why there's, you know, like heavy metal music or really angsty kind of emo rock, you know, like people love it because they're able to get into it and experience that emotion while they're listening to that song and like move it, move that energy, move that emotion. And I do think there is some healing to that, Mm. Uh, but it's about not necessarily staying in that place you know, and, and knowing, knowing what's happening instead of just being like stuck in it and programmed with it and only listening to that and like staying in that kind of zone. I think that's where it could potentially be not as helpful. So that's kind of my take on it. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Thank thank you for sharing that. That, that makes a lot of sense. And it's interesting, you know, I feel like that topic almost comes down to like our humanity and sort of like facing like things that like, like core issues of why is there like suffering on, on earth? Right. And like, in all the horrible like things that happen, like, is there a purpose to them or is there a reason? Like, is it happening for, for the betterment? Like, is it, is there, is it all, does it all have a purpose? Right. Like, especially the things that seem, I don't know, unforgivable or seem, Mm -hmm. you know, awful or horrible like, you know, people have suffered through like a lot of like loss or like, you know, losing a child or losing like a loved one. And, and it, it does seem like in a lot of those cases, even like the worst imaginable things that people have gone through, 
a lot of the greatest humans in the world have been able to kind of transmute that experience into something that's become a gift and a blessing and a light to be able to share with other people. So it does seem like that same thing could apply to, you know, to quote unquote, like negative songs or you know, songs that you know, they're not necessarily all about rainbows and butterflies, but it's sort of facing that darkness and sort of like, you know, be able to shine a light on it. So mm-hmm. definitely, definitely helpful to, to hear your pers- perspective on it. And at the same time, you know, kind of appreciating that it doesn't make sense to, to intentionally or consciously choose to feel awful or to, you know, to, you know, to listen to songs like about being racist or sexist or you know, like different, yeah. different things that we don't necessarily have to generate our own suffering intentionally because you know life does a good enough job for us of, of generating <laughs> enough suffering that we can that we don't need to create extra with stuff on top of it definitely yeah i mean same thing about like <clears throat> tv shows and movies and stuff about certain content you know it's the same kind of thing it's all expression i guess you know it's all people working through shit they've been through in this human experience and i don't i don't i personally can't watch that shit you know but there's some people that it helps them in some kind of way and i can't judge that either so Mm. yeah it's all expression at the end of the day Mm. yeah absolutely Awesome. Well, this is definitely a, a fun conversation. Yeah, I don't you get to explore both of those things in like the one one sentence very often, where it's like sync, yeah. licensing, royalties. You know, like you get out of that, and then like talking about you know our humanness. So, mm-hmm. so I appreciate us being able to kind of go go both both directions, and, and maybe to kind of bring things back a little bit more on on the the level of you know sync secrets and. Yeah, specifically, you know, the people who are listening to this right now mostly are you know, independent musicians who have generated sometimes a full album or multiple albums or even like a big catalog of original music. And you know, for anyone who maybe is listening to this right now and maybe has a catalog of like 30 to 50 songs that they've written and and maybe they are, have some of the basics covered, like they're you know, registered with the PRO but they haven't really fully explored sync licensing or publishing their music, then you know, what would you recommend they sort of get started to, um, mm-hmm. to and, and would your recommendation be like, should someone, I know a kind of a key decision is sort of, does someone try to learn everything themselves and, and try to build relationships directly with music supervisors or do they want to work with like a, a publishing or a publisher company? And and so I'm curious to kind of hear, hear your thoughts on if someone's kind of at that place right now where they have a bunch of original music, but they haven't really fully tapped into the opportunity with sync licensing, how they might approach that. Yeah, I mean, that that is the decision to make whether or not you want to do it on your own or if you want to find someone to represent you. I do usually recommend that when you're first starting out to find a catalog or a library that will pitch your music for you, just because it does take quite a bit of time to build those relationships and understand the business and all of that. So when you're first starting out, it would be good to just go with someone that this is what they do you know, and they, and they can pitch your songs on your behalf and they already have all those relationships. They already kind of know the industry. They know kind of what's needed and who the music supervisors are. They just, you know, they're already in the industry. And, and then also, you know, you can take things like my course, Sync Secrets, so that you can understand the business and know what to ask of these companies. And so you don't get taken advantage of, you know, there's, there's so many music libraries and catalogs now, and it just keeps growing. So there's a lot to choose from, but it does, you know, there's value for you to understand how the industry works and understand the different kind of like deals that are offered, you know, you know, for example, there's a lot of catalogs that will split everything 50 50 so if you get they get a placement for you you'll get 50 percent of that upfront sync fee money and then on the back end you'll retain 100 percent of your writer share royalties but they'll get 100 percent of the publishing share so they're basically becoming like your administer or your publisher and that's pretty common there's also other companies that will just take a commission on the sync fees and that's it and they you get to keep all of your writer and publisher so it just kind of depends on what your intentions are 
what whether or not you're pitching just your artist project or if you're wanting to also do like a ton of co-writes and these other genres just for sync you know a lot of people do that too because they don't they want to be known as like you know this is my artist thing but i want to make some more money off of sync so i'll go and write all these other kinds of genres and stuff under a different artist name for example and so there's a lot of different ways of looking at it but ultimately the the first thing is going to be understanding the business how it works and then linking with someone that can usually pitch your music on your behalf because you're you're not going to want to be spending your time doing that most of the time you want to just be making the music and you know if you're touring and doing other things too it's 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 about you know where you want to be spending your time is really the the first question to ask yourself and then decide whether how much of it you want to do yourself versus aligning with these other companies that already exist Mm, super smart yeah and it sounds like what you're saying is that's a great starting point because in addition to you know publishers already having these pre-existing relationships and connections and just like infrastructure and understanding how it needs to be done it's probably it's one of the fastest ways that you can get your feet wet in the world of sync and not have to start from scratch and kind of learn all these things on your own but sort of learn through the process of working with those companies and then get a better taste for is it something that you'd like to take more ownership of or do more things yourself super smart Mm -hmm. well hey ashley it's been awesome connecting with you today and i appreciate again it was a very interesting conversation we all over the place Sync, sync songwriting. You know, we you know, explored mm-hmm. AI and the you know, talked about the future of of music, and you know, mm-hmm. obviously that's a world that's changing you know rapidly every every day. And we kind of circled back around after you know, also talking about just the role of music itself in in an AI world where potentially you know, we're either like hybrid or we're like supercharging our creative expression with these tools and. Yeah, you know, what is the role of music itself? And you know, sound healing is something very interesting. I'll definitely have to to explore that that a little bit more as well. So that's all to say. Thank you so much for you know taking the time to to be here and to share your experience and lessons you've learned from you know decades of of doing this. And for anyone who's listening or watching this right now, if they'd like to dive deeper and learn more about your you know both your free resources and also what you offer with Sync Secrets, where could they go to dive deeper? My website, syncsecrets.biz. I'll be putting my next course up there. I'll probably be launching it sometime in May or June. And and also on Instagram. You know, I post everything on there. I am Ash New N E U. Those are probably the best places. All right, beautiful. And like always, we're gonna put all the links in the show notes for easy access. And yeah, thanks again for taking the time. It's it's been a fun conversation. Yeah, my pleasure. Really nice as well. Yeah! Hey, it's Michael here. I hope that you got a ton of value out of this episode. Make sure to check out the show notes to learn more about our guests today. And if you want to support the podcast, then there's a few ways to help us grow. First, if you hit subscribe, then that'll make sure you don't miss a new episode. Secondly, if you share it with your friends or on your social media, tag us. That really helps us out. And third, uh, best of all, if you leave us an honest review, it's going to help us reach more musicians like you who want to take their music careers to the next level. Time to be a modern musician is now, and I look forward to seeing you on our next episode.